Hey, everyone. Welcome to Rock Bottom Syndicate. I'm your host, Joyce Strong. My guest today on Rock Bottom is Jennifer Tracy. She's an author, a speaker, and a coach. And she works with people in the mental health space, particularly leaders, um, people who are in the healthcare profession, or perhaps first responders, or people who have, have a lot of pressure on them and not a lot of safe space to talk. And she is one who has been through plenty, including illness, mental illness, um, tragedy in her life, and um, has risen above each time, and uh, just including her faith and taking one step at a time, and um, and having a good foundation of health and wellness has really helped her as, for, as far as her lifestyle goes. So, um, you know, Rock Bottom is really about handling what life throws at you, taking responsibility, learning to pivot and adapt, and uh, most of all, telling your story and asking for help. Do reach out to Jennifer. She has a private Facebook group, and she'll invite you to that for support, uh, safe space to be yourself and to talk. Um, and I'm sure she would love to hear from you. So um, there's also a link in, in this episode to her uh, episode with me on Totally Well, where we talk about more her coaching, um, what she's doing now with her coaching. But in this episode, she's going to talk quite a bit about what happened to her and how she handled it and what she did with it. So do reach out to her. Reach out to me. I always love to hear from you. You know that. And um, And as I say always, um, ask for help and tell your story. It's a powerful thing. Your uh, your um, secrets are the prison of your emotions. And so um, if you can tell your darkest secrets and tell what you're feeling and what is going on inside, we're not going to solve it overnight, but you're going to feel better and you're going to feel hope and you're going to um, be in a little less pain and that's what this is really all about to just get things started bit by bit little by little and soon you'll be on the other side um, so enjoy rock bottom syndicate thanks for tuning in hey jennifer thanks for coming on rock bottom syndicate i've been so looking forward to hearing your story you are so welcome thank you i am super excited to be here so for my uh followers this is jennifer tracy and um She's a speaker, an author, a health coach, and has had some a series of rock bottom times in her life. And um, I'm just going to let you take over from here, Jennifer, and start telling us your story of where it all started. And um, and then after today, after this episode, you'll be coming on to Totally Well to tell us about your more about your coaching practice and how you help people. Awesome! Yeah. So, you know, it's really interesting for me when I jump on and I kind of start sharing my story because there's several moments in my life that have been very life-changing for me, but I would say the most profound um, day for me was the day that my husband and daughter were killed in a car crash. And... I had already gone through a lot of different things by the time that that day happened, but that day, there were so many things that um, played into it that really rock you to your core. <laughs> like we had just registered them for school. Mm -hmm. 
and we had just moved back to Colorado. We had moved out to Iowa. We were out there for just a little bit over a year and we had just moved back. So our U-Haul was still packed with all of our belongings. Mm -hmm. We were at my mom's house and we were going to go get school supplies. Mm -hmm. And at the last minute, I decided not to go on the family errand to get school supplies. And when I decided not to go, my youngest daughter, Amber, said, um, Mom, can I sit in the front? And so we put her in the front on her booster seat, buckled her in. And then um, Brittany, one of my twin daughters, said to me, "Um, one more hug, Mom. One more kiss. And so um, I gave her a hug and a kiss. I kissed Brian on the forehead, and I remember praying silently, Father, please keep them safe. Mm -hmm. Uh, They went down the dirt road where my mom lived. It was out in the country. And 10 minutes later, a drunk driver blew through the stop sign and killed Brian and Brittany instantly. Um, You know, that moment, as you can imagine, like, how many times it's replayed in my mind over and over and over and over. And like all of the events of that day, Mm -hmm. there's so much stuff that just shakes you to your core. Like what if I had just gone with them? Mm -hmm. My logical mind is like, we would have already been through that intersection, Mm -hmm. right? Because me deciding not to go, delayed my entire family. Um, There's a whole piece of like, where is God? What's the point of praying when the answer to your prayer is that two people die 10 minutes later? And I think we can all relate to that. It's like, you know, how, how do we live in such a world where there's just such tragedy and so many things Like, I know I'm not the only one that's gone through horrific things in their life. Mm -hmm. Um, But kind of the the deeper pain really of that day, and I've I've found a way now all of these years later to talk about it is really the honest truth of like, why did I not go? Mm -hmm. Why did I not go that day? And that's really the bigger story that's really the story that takes you back. And that's really the story that takes you back to um, my battle with suicide, my battle with depression and all of those things. And so um, in my book, the reason why I was inspired to write the book Mm -hmm. was because for the last 11 years, I've been speaking on a stage, sharing with people my story and everyone always assumed that my battle with suicide came after my husband and daughter were killed. And it was this most interesting thing because it was almost as if my battle with suicide and depression and PTSD, like after they were killed, it was like, Oh, well that's, you know, we could, we can understand that. Mm -hmm. Like, like it was reasonable. Right. Yeah, yeah. But that wasn't the case. That wasn't my story. And that's why I was so compelled to write the book the way that I did was because I wanted the world to know 
that I had actually battled suicidal ideation for an entire year as a very young mom with three little girls. Mm-hmm. And I did everything that I possibly could to help myself. So when I first recognized that I was depressed, I went to my primary care physician and he recommended medication and I was so opposed to taking medication. So I tried homeopathic stuff for a really long time. The HTTP and, you know, St. John's Ward. I mean, just all of those things. And again, this is 20 years ago, you know. Um, I went to church. I asked people at church to pray for me and my leaders in church to pray over me. Um, it took a long time before I told anyone what I was going through. And I had two or three friends that said they were kind of depressed and were struggling as well. But back then, I mean, it's just not something that you talked about. And it was very new for me. I was very driven. I had graduated from high school a year early with my cosmetology license. I had art, I had my own hair salon, purchased my own home. I had three little girls. Like the battle that I found myself in was so new. Mm-hmm. But I did everything that I knew to do. So eventually I did go on Prozac. Um, Eventually I did start seeing a counselor and a therapist. But none of those things changed my situation. And so for a year, I fought and battled thoughts of suicide for an entire year. Mm -hmm. And on this side of it, like it's one of, one of the hardest things to even help other people understand, which is I didn't ask for those thoughts. Mm-hmm. I didn't wake up every day and say, I just want to have these thoughts or I want to feel this way or I want to be this way. It was definitely something that was happening to me. And I was doing everything that I possibly could to change my life circumstances. So on one of the hardest days of my life, I picked up my daughters from school. We had a green minivan and I remember them being in the back of the car. And I had the thought to kill myself with them in the car. And so that was the day, like all I ever wanted to be growing up was a good mom. Mm -hmm. That was the day where I, I honestly did a self check and looked in the mirror and I was like, you're no longer safe to mother your own children. And so um, I went home and I told them, I said, you guys go play in your room and you have to promise mommy that you won't come out until daddy gets home and made sure they were settled, called my husband at work, asked him to come home. Of course, he was concerned. He said, are you okay? I said, no, I'm not. I need you to come home like right now. And so I ended up walking into the ER and, you know, I can talk about this all of these years later, but, you know, for anyone who's listening The thing is, is like you either have heard about the psychiatric unit and you've heard a lot of different things about it, good or bad, 
Or you may have been like myself back then, which is, I didn't know a thing about it. Mm -hmm. I didn't, it was so new for me. So I walk into the ER and the guy at the front desk is like, hi, can I help you? And I just stared at him and he's like, ma'am, what's wrong? Like, what do you need help with? And I said, I, I want to kill myself and I don't know what to do. Mm. And so I didn't know that I had just signed myself up for a 72-hour lockdown. Mm. I didn't know that they were going to take everything away from me, mm. that I was going to, you know, go into a room like I honestly felt like I had just signed myself up for prison. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, you know, there were some kind people in there and some qualified people, and there were some not kind people in there and some not qualified people. Mm-hmm. And yet what I write about in my book is I would still choose that prison. Mm. And I would encourage anyone to still choose that because I'm still here now all of these years later because mm-hmm. I made that choice. And when I came out of the psychiatric unit, my mother-in-law is the most mean, hateful person I've ever met. Mm-hmm. And she used my experiences to shame me She used them to say that I was an unfit, unqualified mom when, and for a while, I believed that to be true. Like I felt that way. I felt such shame and like I had felt like I had let my family down, but I can look at it now and think, are you kidding me? It takes so much courage to finally admit at the end of your road that you have nothing left to do to help yourself, but to turn yourself into somewhere that can hopefully help you. Mm-hmm. Like it takes so much courage to do that. And to even go through the process of everything. Like I had never been without my kids. Mm-hmm. One of my daughters um, had cerebral palsy, you know, being locked up and not being able to see them was traumatizing in itself. <laughs> and so When I write in my book and I talk about suicide, that time period is so much more dark for me than even the day that my husband and daughter were killed. And that's why I do what I do. That's why I share. That's why I am who I am. Because when I got into the psychiatric unit, I had a good doctor who actually ran my blood work and discovered that I had thyroid disease Mm -hmm. and I had had a hysterectomy. And so they ran some blood work and checked like my estrogen levels. And I didn't even know that was a thing. Like I didn't know you could check a woman's estrogen levels and say, yeah, she doesn't have any of these things. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in the psychiatric unit, it was quite the concoction. Let me tell you of like, medications and all these things, but I definitely was restabilized. I started sleeping, Mm -hmm. started me on the thyroid medication. I started on a, an antidepressant called Effexor, Mm -hmm. 
um, a really high dose of that. And I stayed on that for two or three years. Mm-hmm. But when my life was really kind of starting to turn around and, and definitely it's still a mess, like it was still a mess. But as I shared with you, after all of that, then my husband and daughter were killed. Mm-hmm. And again, that really lays this foundation for like who I am, what I believe, what I believe about us as humans and our human spirit. And we can either choose to look at those life experiences that we go through and to see them as negative, mm-hmm. to see that, you know, to be the pessimistic person, right? And it's just like, woe me, woe me, woe me, right? Or we can choose to really look at everything that we've gone through and use it as a teacher. Mm-hmm. And I genuinely feel like the day that my husband and daughter were killed, I was prepared. Mm-hmm. Like my prior battle actually prepared me to know how to fight for myself. I knew what the stages of grief were. I knew what red flags were. I knew that I needed a safety team. I, right. Like mm-hmm. I knew all of those things. And so, um, again, a battle with suicide and suicidal ideation and then burying a child. That's like comparing an apple to an orange, right? Like the pain of burying a child doesn't even compare to anything I've ever felt in my entire life. Mm -hmm. But I have my mind. (laughs) Whereas when I battled suicidal ideation, I didn't have my mind. It wasn't me. Mm I was locked up somewhere inside of there and I didn't know how to get out. And that's why I'm such an advocate for that because it's so, and I know everyone's experience is different. You know, I'm not trying to um, make everyone's experience like mine, but I just am thankful that I was able to get my mind back and stabilize that so that when they passed away, um, I wasn't battling that too. I can't, I honestly can't imagine if I was still battling that when they passed away. I have a a question on when I've spoken to people about having the suicidal ideation and thoughts of suicide, um, they've told me that it really isn't that they wanted to die. They wanted the pain to stop. Mm-hmm. And so it from hearing your story, it seems like by the time your daughter and husband were killed, um, that you understood that you'd gone past that point of you didn't really want to die, but you want the pain to stop and he and you had some tools by then. Is that true? Absolutely. And 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 that's the thing is like the suicidal ideation, I believe, is our body's way of firing off those signals, you know, in my book, I call it the check engine lights. Yeah. yeah, It's like, it is our body's way of sending those signals up and saying something needs to change. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, at first you don't actually first think I want to kill myself. You actually think I'm so hopeless. Mm. Things will never change. Mm -hmm. I've tried so much. I'm so tired. Like, those are the thoughts that kind of start before. Yeah. But after you've had those thoughts for four months, 
that's when that other thought just starts to enter in, which is like, I'm done with all of this struggle. And so maybe I should just end it. Yeah. I just want to end the pain. And one of the things that I share with people and there was a lot, like I've had to do a lot of work to be able to share this with you, you know, openly because there was a lot of shame around this concept of people would say to me, Jennifer, think of your daughters. How could you leave them like that? Like you're so selfish to think of suicide. Hmm. But when you're in it, I remember thinking, I am thinking of them. I'm broken. I'm no longer a good mom. I'm not safe, right? They are better off without me. Yeah. And it took deep inner work for me to finally realize and come to acceptance and say, no, Jennifer, no. Your daughters are better off with a broken mother, one who tries every day to piece it little by little back together, who's not perfect, Mm -hmm. but who tries, who owns her imperfections. Your daughters are better off with that mother than a mother who chooses to end her life because she's broken and she knows it. Mm -hmm. And getting getting the mind and getting society to wrap our heads around that concept. Like I've worked um, inside like with firefighters. I've gone in and worked with police officers and I do this, um, this thing with them where I give them a piece of paper and everyone has the same blank piece of paper and the same pen. And everyone has to write down an answer to my question and turn it into me. And basically it is, tell me what you think about people who commit suicide. Hmm. And you would be amazed at how many people say they're weak. Mm-hmm. It's the easy way out. You know, there's still so much negative around the word suicide or people who are struggling. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's really neat for me because again, we, I've created a very safe place when people um, turn these papers in, right. Because no one knows, like they're free to write whatever they want. Mm -hmm. And so then I share with them and I say, okay, all right. So I've taken all of this in and we're going to kind of talk about this a little bit, but can I ask you guys something looking at me now? Would you, would you consider me to be a weak woman or would you consider me to be someone who's strong? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like silence, right? Mm-hmm. Because they've just written down all of these very weak things, all these negative things, and yet I'm the epitome of that, right? Like I'm standing in front of them saying, no, in order to be strong, I had to go get help. Mm-hmm. I had to, you know, work through that. I had to accept that being broken and flawed in the world, knowing it. Yikes. Mm-hmm. Like who, 
who wants the world to know that you're having such awful thoughts and then to have your like mother-in-law rub your nose in it and say you're an unfit mom? Like who, who wants that? And yet moving through it, finding strength on the other side of that is what makes me strong, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's such a beautiful message to anyone who's listening is your thoughts don't define you. Mm-hmm. What you do with your thoughts That's up to you. Those poor choices that you keep struggling with, they don't define you. What you do with them, even if for the rest of your life you're working on trying to overcome an addiction or codependency or a mental health battle or forgive yourself for something you never thought you would do, it's so much better to be that person Mm -hmm. than to not be at all. Mm -hmm. And so, again, you know, I can share that with you, but back then the shame, I mean, the first time I even tried to talk about the thought of what I was going to do that day with my kids in the car, there was so much shame around that, right? Like who wants to tell the world that that's what I was going to do with my kids in the car? (laughs) And yet I can talk about it now because that's the truth, right? Like, that's my story. And if I don't own that, then I'm not being me. Mm -hmm. And of of course, I've had to do so much work to be on this side of it and to say, you know, those thoughts don't define me. But not everybody goes to, not everyone who's listening to this has to relate to the thoughts of suicide to know shame, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to know guilt, to know regret, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, those things are universal. We all struggle with those things. And so really learning that to separate that as a human, that we have value, even when our thoughts are telling us we don't, is probably one of the hardest things to to overcome. What so. a lot of people don't realize too, is that those feelings are normal. It's again, what we do with them having their, what like, um, red flags or they're, you know, they're markers for us to say, hey, this, this area needs attention. And eating, we all know this too, having a thought doesn't mean the action. Um, but being, you know, I, I just uh, trying to put myself in your shoes and imagine feeling that way and in so much pain and feeling that lack of self-worth mm-hmm. that they'd be better off without you. And, um, and then being able to somehow shift into where you needed to be to make the right decision to talk, uh, ultimately talk about it. But first of all, to not follow through with the thought. I mean, that's really the, um, that's the intervention. That's that place that many people can't do without help and why, why we do what we do to help them come and talk about it. We, we, you know, this, most of this time you've been talking and I'm just listening and that's what we do. We sit with each other and we just listen and we be and we share the pain for the moment. Right. And I think, um, you know, our world is an interesting place today because back then we didn't have social media. Right. You know, we didn't have Facebook or Instagram or any of those things. And the shame I felt back then just around people in my own community knowing the battle that I had gone through Mm -hmm. 
that shame was so intense. So mm-hmm. I can't imagine, you know, someone like Tiger Woods, right? Yeah. I mean, his whole world blew up yeah. in front of his face, in front of his community, and then it went public to the entire world, right? Yeah. And while I do not approve of his behavior, I am so proud of him as an individual mm-hmm. because somehow he had to find the inner fortitude mm-hmm. to say, I messed up in so many bad ways, poor choices, whatever they were, right? But now you see him back out on TV doing what he loves, mm-hmm. right? his golf thing. And like, I, I haven't followed his story, but I just admire the fact that he put himself back out into public. Mm-hmm. Cause I've been sitting with friends watching him, you know, like at a sporting event or whatever. Right. And hear people snicker about him. Oh yeah. You know, whatever. And it's like, instantly I'm like, you're snickering at me. You don't even know it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. You're dissing him, but I'd like to see your face dug through all of your crap yeah. <laughs> across the entire country. And then I'd like to see you find the fortitude to get back up yeah, back on TV and go do what you love to do, which is to play golf. Yeah. Right? Like, again, I don't approve of his behaviors, but I admire him for that. And I admire many people who've done that, who have fallen, who've fallen, you know, in public and who get back up and, um, keep moving forward. And you do, you, you either learn to overcome that inner shame and guilt or it destroys you. Mm-hmm. I say on rock bottom that it's your secrets are the prison of your emotions. It, it's funny. You mentioned Tiger Woods. I saw an ad for Bill Clinton today. Um, he's got a special and they showed a clip of him owning all the the mistakes he made with Monica Lewinsky and all that, that, you know, lying and lying to his wife and having to tell his wife and tell his daughter what happened. And he said it in such a way I've never heard him say it with such taking responsibility that this was bad and I did it and I've learned from it. And here's how, you know, that whole thing. And it was, you know, you still remember, you don't condone what the person did, but you understand that, um, that it, there's something so refreshing and hopeful when you see a person, you know, we're, we're all, we're all human, you know, we're going to make mistakes. And so what we do with them and being able to be so open, it's right. freeing, I think freeing. It is like, you know, so fast forward, you know, to today. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's been quite the journey that I've been on. Like, I really didn't speak a lot about what happened to us really for five years mm-hmm. because, um, my mother-in-law really drug me through, uh, the court system and challenged me even being able to have my daughters and everything. Mm-hmm. And so I had to fight to get my girls. It was, it was a, it was a tough year after they died, but I battled and I got my girls back. Mm -hmm. But after I got them back, it was like, I, I didn't, I was a hairstylist Mm -hmm. and I didn't know what to do because 
when you're a hairstylist and actually like several jobs, like small talk is where do you live? Are you married? Do you have kids? Mm-hmm. How long have you been here? What do you, you know? And there was no way around me being able to not tell people that my husband and daughter were killed because I tried for a really long time to just be like, yeah, I'm Jennifer. Yes, I live here. Oh, yep. I have two daughters, Michaela and Amber, because I didn't want the shock factor for the people who asked me that question because sometimes people in my chair, I'd be cutting their hair and they'd be crying. Mm. And yet you try not telling people that you have another daughter. Mm-hmm. Like that didn't feel right either. And so I ended up not being able to do hair. I went on disability. And for five years, I honestly just focused on putting the oxygen mask on myself and my daughters. I, I went to therapy. I did EMDR. Um, I made dinner every day. I was at the kids' school. Like I volunteered at their school. Like I did everything that I could to heal. And then right around the five or six year mark, I started speaking. Mm-hmm. And once I started speaking, there was something that happened that was really neat because I was among other speakers. I was, um, Mothers Against Drunk Driving had asked me to share, but I was amongst other speakers who were using their story basically to use the victim card. Mm-hmm. Like, like they would go in and speak to offenders and they would rub those offenders' nose in what they did. Mm-hmm. And again, I think because maybe I'd been in the psychiatric unit or I had just already been down and under. I decided right away that if I was going to speak, it wasn't going to be about me. It wasn't going to be a victim story. It was going to be a story of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. It was going to be a story of empowerment and them changing their lives, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you can actually believe this, you and I have just recently connected on LinkedIn, right? Mm -hmm. And I shared recently here on LinkedIn a photo of my daughter and someone on LinkedIn commented below. And he said, I am so glad that I met you eight years ago, Jennifer. You've changed my life. I've never forgotten your story. Hashtag dare you to move. Eight years ago, some guy sees a picture of my daughter on LinkedIn, Mm -hmm. and he's still like, you helped set me on the right course eight years ago. Wow. Like, that's what's so awesome about the message that I crafted was it wasn't a victim card, right? It wasn't a rub your nose in it. It's like we all have our crap. We all have things that have been thrown at us, but every day you and I get the opportunity to decide what we're going to do with that. And sometimes we just need to be reminded of that. Mm -hmm. And so um, fast forward to today, this week in the mail, I just got a letter that um, the man that killed my husband and daughter 
he has completely um, finished every requirement for him. And so he is 100% now a free man. Mm-hmm. So um, for people listening, I kind of like jumped over that little part. But um, when Mr. Goonan came up for parole five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, all of these years, I was a very active participant in it and advocated for him while he was in prison to make sure that he got good behavior, health, good rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. And so when he came up for um, parole, I advocated for him to go ahead and be released. So, so this was kind of a, um, a somber week for me as well. And when I say somber, what I mean is like, it's very humbling to know that he was sentenced 24 years. And he served 11 of those years, a very remorseful man, Mm -hmm. apologized to me, told me he would give his own life if he could and bring them back. Mm -hmm. And I contrast that with my mother-in-law, who on the day that my husband and daughter were killed, mm-hmm. takes the life insurance money, moves to a different state, and never gives my daughter or myself a single penny. And I'm like, it was easier for me to forgive the man that killed them than it was her. It took me so many years to forgive her. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's when I really learned um, the difference between us humans, which is like remorse, mm-hmm. intention, right? Mm-hmm. And no matter how many times we mess up, and I don't know about you, but if someone comes to me and they're genuinely like, I'm so sorry that I screwed up at that again, mm-hmm. I'm on it. I give that person so much more credit mm-hmm. than the person who just does whatever and never comes to you and apologizes or acts like what they're doing is totally okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if the man that killed my husband and daughter, if he had acted like what he had done was no big deal, if he had, um, not taken his sentence, right? Like if he didn't plead guilty, he, he, he took it. He took the 24 years and pled guilty, mm-hmm. but it hadn't, it probably would have changed the way that I advocated or, you know, wanting him to be out and be a free man, right? I wouldn't want him to be out and be free if I didn't think that he could be safe in society. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so that's why I had to play a part in all those hearings to really make the decision on do I think he can be out in society and be safe? And of course I'll never know, right? Like I don't know what he's doing now and whether he's truly safe, but my prayer and my blessing is like no amount of time that he spends in prison is ever going to bring my loved ones back. Mm-hmm. So I would rather him be out and be free and live life if he can do it and do it in a healthy way for sure. And most people, when I say that, they just are like, they just can't even comprehend that my mind even goes to that place. But that's just who I am. But in all, in all transparency, it's only because I offer that same forgiveness to myself. 
to the extent that I can love that man is the extent that I can love me. And I've had to learn to love me and forgive me over and over. You, you don't have PTSD. You don't have nightmares and flashbacks and throw up in public and have people rub your nose and everything you've done. You don't find fortitude unless you dig deep inside of yourself and say, I have value. Mm-hmm. I have worth. My behaviors may not be approving to all of you, but I'm going to still love me. <laughs> and um, I can honestly tell you there were times I was the only one that loved me. Uh, my mom passed away shortly after uh, my husband and daughter died. And my mom was my biggest cheerleader. And when I lost her, I, I was all I had. <laughs> was like I, my mom was so sweet. She would send me cards, and if you could see around me right now, I have cards because I love them. Mm-hmm. And um, one day I was going through photos, and she had sent me in an envelope some pictures, and tucked in the pictures was a little note from her on a green piece of paper that said. I thought you might like these photos. Love you so much, mom. And this was after she passed away. Can you imagine? Like, it's like a little love note from your mom tucked in these photos all these years later, you know? But I've been so crazy to the point where like, I'll be at the store and I just miss my mom or I miss my daughter or whatever. I will buy a card. (laughs) And write it to them. (laughs) Write it to them. Write it to myself from them. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, I, I will stop at nothing to, to encourage myself. Yeah. I, and I know people, people are fascinated by that. Like when I was trying to lose weight um, after they passed away, which is what we were going to talk about uh, in your other, you know, podcast, which was really like my, my wellness and my, my eating and all that kind of stuff. Right. But, um, yeah, like when I go to the gym, I'm like, you go girl, you got this. Yes. You have fat on your body, but it doesn't mean you are fat. Yeah. Like I, somehow I have learned to separate the value versus like thought behavior and action. And I know that that comes from, you know, therapy and all those things, but like, it's just core to who I am. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, that's kind of my rock bottom story of you know suicidal ideation, losing a husband and child, a mother-in-law who still is hateful to this day, has never apologized. Like again, like you said with Bill Clinton, I mean publicly, right? Like he walked his own mess publicly and I don't know what you were watching that he basically just shared his own like I'm sorry right how many people how many people when they see other people own up or say they're sorry you know they talk smack about them I'm like you know what you go through all of that you go through all of that 
you get up on TV and share your darkest hours. And then once you've done that, then you come back and you talk your smack to me, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's kind of, I, I kind of do that my own Ooh. internal, like, defense mechanism, right? Anyone who wants to talk smack, I'm like, really? You want to come in this arena with me? Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You really, are you sure you want to come in this arena because you're going to lose a husband and a child, your mother, your house, your car, you know what I mean? Like inside this one where I live, it's pretty tough. So unless you want to come inside here, you just stay out there with your like negative hate, you know, the, the naysayers, right? There's a game I've played with groups before where you, you put a bowl in the middle, everybody gets a piece of paper and they write down their thing that their worst thing right okay and okay so I would usually write breast cancer right because that was one of the worst things for me everybody throws their worst thing in the bowl and they know other people in the room they already know stories right and now you pick someone else's worst thing and nobody wants to pick (laughs) right yeah. So I put, you know, perspective it certainly means a lot. So I appreciate what you said. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And that's that's the thing, right? It's like pain is universal. Yeah. You know, the things that I've gone through, I know there are so many people who have, you know, gone through the judicial system and it wasn't fair to them. I mean, we know people right now who are locked up and it's not right, right? Like they were accused wrongly. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so much injustice that goes on. I know it. We know it. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, the only thing that we can really own is ourselves. What we do, what we do with what we're handed. Mm-hmm. And um, this is kind of how I like, I wrote a little workbook. It's called Your Life Story Workbook. Okay. Basically in the beginning, it says, um, this is how I like to think of it. Our lives are a story. Pages written by the way we handle what life throws at us. Mm. Because we all have that. If you think about like line one, chapter one of every single one of our story, not not one of us gets to pick who our parents are. Mm -hmm. Not one of us gets to pick the color of our skin, how tall we are, the DNA that we're made with. No one. Mm And no one gets to have power or control over those first years of our lives. No, none of us do. But somewhere along the way, that word cause and effect and choice kicks in. Mm -hmm. And no matter what's happened to you, no matter what happens to you throughout your life, at some point you've got to pick that pen back up Mm -hmm. and you have to say, this is how I'm going to write my life story, no matter what. Yeah. And um, I just find that super empowering. You know, we all have that. So, yes, that's, do you have, do you have any other questions? I know that um, we talked a little bit just because I wanted to make sure that, you know, I knew, um, your listeners and stuff like that. But do you have any other questions for me? I really don't. I think you, you spelled it out so well. You've really talked, you've, you've made all the connections I try to make about taking responsibility and forgiveness. And when you 
you really hit home when you were like, you know, in all transparency, I had to forgive myself. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. And all the, the time it took and the layers it took, it took what it took to get there. Um, that it wasn't a new story. It was a new chapter, but, you know, where things led up. I just think the, the illustration of rock bottoms don't just come once. Mm-hmm. And, but as we move forward in life, we're better prepared um, to handle life situations when we've hit a rock bottom. So almost to not never to look at losing a child and your husband as a gift, but saying, okay, I still, you know, have this, I have my life, I have these other children, I have whatever is still going forward, you're going forward with. And so to be able to, um, to, to pivot, adapt and continue to live. And that- and that's, again, it's funny because that is something that I make my mind think. Mm-hmm. So I tell my audiences when I'm speaking that the corner where they died, yeah. to everyone else, it's just another corner and it's another street, right? Mm-hmm. For me, it could be symbolic of death, devastation. Mm-hmm. Right. Like if you ever saw the the photos of that, what happened on that corner, like it could be that, but I refuse to let it be that I think of it. Like I will go out there and I will stand there and I will say to myself, Jennifer, on the day that your husband and daughter were killed, you were handed a pile of shit. (laughs) But what I've discovered is that shit can grow some really amazing flowers yeah. <laughs> and I, now because there's acres out there where this happened on this corner. Cause it's out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. I go out there now and I envision valleys, just tons of flowers, so many colors, right. That it's just taken over that whole area. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you're right. I miss my daughter so much. Mm-hmm. And I was jokingly telling my other daughter, I said, I want to live another 35 years. Like, I want to see you get married and I want to be a grandma. And all of that sounds so wonderful, right? But it's already been 16 years since I've seen your sister. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh. I don't know if I can sign up for another 35 years of not seeing her. Right. Like there is this, this like, and that's as someone who believes in faith and believes in heaven. Right. For me, I'm like, all right, if I die tomorrow, I'm okay with that too. (laughs) Like I, I win either way. Right. Like in my world, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I live. I get to see what I want and experience what I want. And I've got that corner and like even sharing this message with you today, who knows who's going to listen to this, right? And that's just more seeds that are planted in that corner. That's just this massive valley now, gorgeous flowers, right? Mm -hmm. But if I die, I'm okay with that too, because there's, there's good things for me there too. And so either way I win and, um, and that's the hope. That's I share that a lot with people. I'll say, if you're if you're out of hope, will you borrow mine? Mm-hmm. Like, 
If you had a hope, just borrow mine because I have a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. And that's enough sometimes. I mean, certainly in my experience, when a coach said that to me, I, I know you don't believe in yourself, but I believe in you. So you can have it for now until you grow your own, until you build your own confidence. And it yeah. works, you know. It does, right? Yeah. It does. And the so, power of human connection and love. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I guess we'll wrap up here because the story just feels complete right now. I mean, you, there's never an end to the retelling of it, but I think it really illustrates everything that I hope to accomplish with Rock Bottom Syndicate, that, um, that you're not alone and um, your, your rock bottom is not mine, and, but we can appreciate each other's and be there you know, for one another. Absolutely. Yeah. So all those things. Yeah. I'm. Thank you for um, sharing this time with me. And um, as I shared, you know, it's just been a neat connection, and I look forward to being part of more things with you. Absolutely. Well, um, we will do the uh, Totally Well podcast and hear more about your journey there and how you got to be invested in the health coach and become an expert in that area, um, which is just such a happy piece to um, to connect to this story and just show how much can grow out of um, out of um, some pretty sad times. Yep, absolutely. So, well, thank you, Jennifer, for sharing. Yeah. I really appreciate the time. Yep. Talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye.